Uh, would you take the Word of God uh, with me and turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 21? Exodus chapter 21. As you turn there, just by way of reminder, we have classified or categorized various aspects of the law. First, we noted that there is the moral law, which are contained in the Ten Commandments. Uh, second, there are the judicial or the civil laws. They're referred to in this chapter as the judgments. Uh, they are govern, the, the judgments are to govern the affairs uh, and the conduct of the nation of Israel. And they're find, found first here in, the, in our Bibles in Exodus chapter 21 through chapter 23, and we've been dealing with those. And then third, there is the ceremonial law, which we'll find in Exodus chapter 25, which deals with the religious life surrounding the tabernacle of the congregation of Israel. Now, as I mentioned here, these judgments are given as a reference point to those who would serve as judges among the children of Israel. Moses is going to appoint uh, judges, and the judges are to rule the people and to make judgment, uh, basically between the conflicts of the children of Israel. That's what the judgments are. Uh, it, it is not possible, I hope we understand that it's not possible to list every different scenario that those judges would face. You can't deal with every single scenario. Uh, however, what they are given with those judgments is a framework by which to operate or the principles that are to be upheld in the nation of Israel. I think it's much like what we think about our country today. We think about the Constitution, the laws, federal laws, and then the state laws. And the judges are supposed to operate within the boundaries of the Constitution. And they're, made to, they're to pronounce a judgment based upon the law. And we understand that not every scenario of everything that happens and every conflict is listed in the Constitution or in the law. But there's a framework that's there, and there are principles that are communicated throughout those documents that the judges are to apply to all scenarios. And the judgments of God are just like that. Now, in our text, we're going to read in just a moment, but I'd like to uh, put forth the framework and the principles in our text, and then we'll read them together. But one of the first principles that we find or... One of the first frameworks that the judges are supposed to abide by is that the value of human life is always to be upheld. And we're going to, and we've found that really since the beginning of the chapter, but we'll see that here in uh, this passage that the value of human life is always to be upheld without exception. The second principle or the second framework by which the judges are to operate is that the harm of carelessness or negligence must be met with severe consequences. Now, at the onset, that may seem uh, a little peculiar that I would say that, but we'll see it in our text, that negligence is to be regarded as an offense against God and against your neighbor. And we'll see that in the text. And the third uh, principle or framework that the judges are to have in mind is the necessity for restitution when a crime has been committed or wrong done, the necessity of restitution to be both complete and proportional. And there's a fourth one that I find in the text, and that is that the law 
or those judgments do not prohibit the judges from exercising mercy. All right. Now, with those things in mind, uh, let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 21, and we're going to begin reading in verse 28. Exodus chapter 21 and verse 28. All right. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Let me just say this, that um, I remember as a young person being in church and being asked to stand for the reading of God's Word. And I remember being annoyed by it. I settled, and so I, why do I have to get up again? I just got up and sung. And uh, that uh, was a reflection on my heart. And... Um, the more I study God's Word, the more appreciative I am of it. I think the more we understand that it is given by inspiration of God. And this, these are the words of God. And um, in church, we want to make sure that God is, uh, up, is reverenced. And that we treat His Word as if He is speaking, and He is speaking. And, um, and so that's the intent there. So Exodus chapter 21 uh, verse 28, the Bible says, If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. Uh, the word quit means innocent. Verse 29, But if the ox were wont to to push with his horn in time past. That means if he had been violent in the past, previously, and it's, it's known. And it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, that's the man who had the ox that let him go, knowing that he was a bad ox. Then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment. So verse 28 through 30. The same judgment Shall it be done unto him? The same judgment is to be applied, whether it's a man or woman, or whether it's a son or daughter. Verse 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, and not cover it, and an ox or an as fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. And if one man's ox hurt another's, that he die, then they shall sell the live ox, and divide the money of it, and the dead ox also they shall divide. Or if it be known that the ox has used, uh, uh, ox hath used to push in times past, and his owner hath not kept him in, 
He shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be his own. All right, what are we going to do with this? I want to preach this evening a message that I've entitled, a little different message, but I hope you understand by the end, when we think about those judgments, this is not just about the affairs of men. This is reflective of the character of God. When we read about all those things that God instituted, God is not doing those things without thought or things that do not reflect upon Him. And so He is not arbitrary in those things and says, well, I guess we'll do this. That's not the God we serve. He is very specific. And so we learn some things, not just about the affairs of men, but we learn some things about the character of God. And so I'd like to preach this evening on this, and here's the title, Life, Negligence, Restitution, and Mercy. Life, Negligence, Restitution, and Mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would give us an understanding, specifically this evening on your character and what you're telling us about yourself and your word. So help us, Lord, to be instructed and to become more aware of the kind of God that we serve. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at our text, I set forth some, uh, some principles and a framework by which the, nation, the children of Israel are to operate between themselves. And clearly, as we just read here just a moment ago, we see that God places a great importance on the value of life, whether it is an adult life or a child's life. We also noted that there's a theme that is repeated several times in our text that God wants to deal with those who are careless and negligent in their lives. Now at the onset here, we're going to find here in our text that there is an aspect here that we are judged in this chapter for the actions that we take. But in the same chapter, we are also judged, or the children of Israel are judged for the actions that they do not take or that they fail to take and they are deemed here as careless or being negligent. And we see here in our text that evidently this negligence is to be regarded as an offense both against God and against His fellow man. We also note the theme that there has to be restitution. If you have a title, maybe your Bible breaks it down with different titles. Uh, this section might be entitled, The Law of Restitution. Uh, and the idea here is, if uh, this is what you've done, or because of your carelessness, this is what your neighbor has lost, then you ought to restore that which he lost. You ought to make that right. And so God is very interested in restitution. If something has been done against somebody, and here obviously he uses the ox, it seems to be the theme, animal of these verses, but again, these judgments can apply to all kinds of different animals uh, that were a part of their farms. And so uh, we see here that the restitution is very important to God. And finally, that you find within this passage 
that although those judgments are clear and they're specific, God also says that there is room, there ought to be room as you deal with one another for mercy. Mercy. And that's also reflective upon God. So what I'd like to do is go through those verses, explain those verses, and show us how that reflects upon God. And by the way, we know that we don't operate today under a theocracy as the children of Israel operated. But nonetheless, the principles and the framework that God has communicated to the children of Israel, I believe is, is the same framework and the same principles by which we ought also to operate our lives as Christians. So as we look here at the first verse in verse 28, we begin here in this section and uh, notice the Bible says, if an ox gore a man. Now let me begin by saying an ox is really uh, cattle. It can refer to both, uh, I believe throughout the scriptures, male and female, but you could say generally livestock, but specifically cattle. Uh, the ox were used for basically work in the field. That's what they were mainly used for. And so if an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. So what we learn here is that um, if you possess an ox and you are a farmer and if your ox uh, gore, that means he kills a man or a woman, that the consequences is that the ox life ought to be lost. By the way, this was true if a man took the life of man early on in this chapter, then that man is also to lose his life. And he puts at the end something that is, he's going to build on. At the end of verse 28, he says, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. In other words, uh, we understand within the animal kingdom there that uh, animals are, they often do what they want to do. And you may train them and do what's right, but sometimes the impulses of wildlife can be detrimental to man. And here in this case, if an animal takes it upon himself to gore a man or a woman, then that ox is to be put to death, but the owner of the ox is to be deemed as innocent. In other words, it's, it's not his fault. There is no retribution that he is to pay. Now, there's a different scenario in verse 29. Notice what he says in verse 29. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past. In other words, if this same ox has a pattern of misbehavior throughout his life, throughout his tenure under uh, the ownership of this farmer, and notice it hath been testified to his owner. In other words, the owner was made aware that his ox was misbehaving, that the ox was trying to gore a man or a woman. Maybe he hadn't done it in the past, but maybe he had tried and misbehaved. And the owner is aware of that. That changes everything. You see, if an ox gore a man or a woman, that ox dies, the owner is innocent. But if the owner knows that the ox behaves in that way, and has a pattern of behaving in that way, and it's been testified that the ox has a pattern of behaving in that way, notice what he says, and he hath not kept him in, that means he has not restrained him, he has uh, not uh, protected others around him, 
but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Now that's quite serious. The owner himself is not the one who killed this man or this woman, but he did indeed do it by virtue of his carelessness and his negligence. He was aware. It was reported to him that the ox had, has a pattern of misbehavior. And so therefore, because of his negligence, because of his carelessness, both the ox and the owner of the ox are to be put to death. Now let me give you a definition of carelessness. The word careless means having no care. To be heedless. Now remember what he says? It hath been testified to his owner. That means that if it's been testified to, you ought to heed what's been told. Someone who is careless is someone who is heedless. Someone who does not heed the testimony of another man. Someone who is negligent. Someone who is unthinking. It is someone who is inattentive. Someone who uh, is unmindful. It is someone who is followed by of or about uh, as a careless mother, a mother careless or about, uh, about her children, uh, is an unnatural parent. And we find that in the Bible. There's another definition that's given, and that is to be free from care or anxiety, undisturbed. Um, the idea is um, someone who's kind of, oh, whatever happens, happens, and kind of carefree. Uh, someone who does something, who says something without care. Someone who is unconsiderate, who is uh, careless, uh, who, who has careless expressions. So here, God places such great importance upon this subject that he says that a man in this case who is careless and negligent, um, inattentive, unthinking, unmindful of the misbehavior of his ox, that he lets his ox roam and to cause injury or death to a person, that that owner is exhibiting such carelessness that he ought also to lose his life. So it seems here in this case that it's a big deal to God. Now here I think that the reason why we, we see here that carelessness in itself is, is not as big of a deal as we might say uh, someone killing another man. But in the eyes of God, uh, you know, to be careless is not that bad unless something bad happens. Right? If the owner of the ox was careless about his ox and the ox never did anything, then it would be no big deal. But since the ox, who had a reputation of misbehavior, killed a man, then the carelessness of that owner is to be dealt with severely. And so what I'm saying here is often we have to think about that in our own lives. That I, I do believe here that this is reflective on God's character. And we know that God is not careless. And as I was examining this, I, I said, I wonder how many areas in my life am I being careless? And the reason I think it's no big deal is because I don't see necessarily the consequences of carelessness. 
But whether there are consequences to carelessness, I don't think it changes the nature and how God regards carelessness, whether something has been done or not. You see, it is unmindful, it is uncaring, it is heedless, it is negligent for an owner to let his ox roam free, to interact with a man or a woman, that he would take their lives after a pattern of behavior and after the testimony against that ox. So God here deals with being negligent and careless. He proceeds in verse 30, and notice what he says. He says, If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Here's the scenario. So let's say that the owner had been careless. Let's say here, scenario number two, not number one. Remember, number one is the ox killed a man or a woman. The owner is innocent. But here's the disclaimer. Here's to help the judges. If it's been said that this ox has misbehaved, if the owner of the ox has, it's been testified to him that the ox has been misbehaving, and if that same ox ends up killing a man, that owner is to die with his ox. Now, although that owner did not kill that person, his carelessness allowed his ox to kill a person brought forth that person's death. But here is a window open where the judges here in verse 30 may have the opportunity to exercise mercy in scenario number two. What is that? If there be laid on him, that's the owner who knew his ox was misbehaving, who knew that uh, it was testified that the ox had misbehaved, if there be laid on him a sum of money, that means that, let's say, a, uh, uh, a man lost his life by the ox. The ox had a history of misbehavior. The ox had been testified against to the owner. If that person lost his life, then that family would bring the owner of the ox to the judges. The ox would be stoned. That was according to the law. But there is a window of opportunity here for the family that had been wronged, that lost their family member. If they wanted to, they could exercise mercy by laying a sum. By saying, well, we're not going to have this owner lose his life, but here's the sum we're going to lay upon him. We're going to have him pay, you could say, a fine or a sum of money. Notice, then... He shall give for the ransom of his life. Well, we know what the ransom, what the word ransom is. It means to be bought back. You see, the penalty for that for that crime of an unruly ox, unrestrained, and being careless about it, causing somebody's death, then you as the owner ought to die yourself. But if the family chooses not to put you to death, but to exercise mercy, they will lay before you a sum and you can pay that sum for the ransom of your life to save yourself. Now in that case, I would say that that family has showed mercy to that man by allowing him to pay a price for his ransom. His, his, his uh, penalty was death under this judgment. But because of the mercy of that family, 
He can pay a price for the ransom of his life. And it says here, whatsoever is laid upon him. So whatever is determined by that family, if he pays this, he buys his freedom, his innocency. Not his innocency, but his, um, he's paid the punishment that he owes. And so here's an opportunity to demonstrate mercy, and it should be an option to those who have suffered loss. And it's interesting here that God, He lays forth the judgments, and I really begin, I'm beginning to appreciate the Word of God more and more as I see how those things reflect the character of God, because God does have laws, and God is a God of judgment, and there is a penalty for crimes committed against God, but God is also at the same time a merciful God. And so here God says there has to be room for mercy. And I think we all understand in our lives as we interact with one another that there is times that we can offend one another and there are times that certainly there are things that ought to be paid for that which is wrong when somebody has been wrong. But there's also, there ought to be opportunities in our lives to exercise mercy on other people. And I think God asks us to do that just as He. There are two things that God asks us to do that are reflective of His character. The first one is, be holy for I am holy. The second one in God's Word, and I only know of two, is be merciful for I am merciful. And so here He is asking the children of Israel to be considerate, to be reflective of the character of God in showing mercy to one another if the opportunity comes. Now, as we proceed in verse 31, he says, Now, whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. Now, here simply put, he adds another piece here because remember, uh, he had said back in verse 28, If an ox gore a man or a woman. Now, that's the names for an adult man and an adult woman. And now he adds something else to the judgment. He says, now, if that happens to a son or to a daughter, then the same judgment applies in all of those options. If the ox gore a child, that the child dies, the ox dies. Now, if the child dies from an ox whose owner knew that his ox was a violent ox, then that ox and that owner dies. Now, if that family of that child decides to show mercy, they may put a price where he can ransom his own life. And so he said, all of those judgments apply to a son or to a daughter. And so the life of a child, what we learn here, should not be regarded as less valuable than the life of an adult. The same judgment is applicable. Now, that's all I'll say about that. No, that's not all I'll say about that. We live in a society that has a deep disregard for children. We see all around us. Uh, there are now states, uh, and I've spoken on, I've preached a message on abortion today. And by the way, as Christians, we are against 100% in every case, we are against abortion. Uh, and that's very clear. Uh, there are some states who are pushing to have abortion all the way to the time of birth and even to give mothers the option after the child is born. That is completely unthinkable. Completely unthinkable. God just is, as He deals with judgment, He says the life of a child is not to be seen as less valuable 
than the life of a grown man and a grown woman. So apply all the same judgments to sons and daughters. Now let's proceed in verse 32. He goes on to say, If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Now, here is uh, uh, something else to add here. Uh, Really, I think the scenario here is quite broad in this judgment. I think he's saying here that any loss that is incurred by an unrestrained animal is to be repaid in full. Now, notice here, he uses a manservant or a maidservant. He shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So here's what happens. Earlier in the chapter, he dealt with a servant. Remember, a servant was to serve for six years. In the seventh year, the servant could go free. Now, remember, we talked about the scenarios that that would happen. Somebody may have stolen something, and because they stole something, they have no way to bring about restitution of that which they stole, and it's gone. Then often that person would come under service and would serve for those seven years. We also know that it was a way to deal with people who were poor, who maybe couldn't uh, take care of themselves anymore, or maybe who owed a debt to a lender, but they couldn't repay it, then by virtue of them being incapable of doing that, they would come under service of their lender, and they would become servant to that master. And so in that case, they would serve for seven years. And so uh, at the end of seven years, in the seventh year, the servant could go free. So here's the scenario here. If an ox gore a manservant or a maidservant, then... You are to, the owner of the ox is to pay to that servant's master 30 shekels of silver. What's that? That's the price for their life, for their seven-year service. Now notice he doesn't put a, um, a restraint, a, 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 uh, he doesn't confine that. He doesn't say, well, uh, if, you, if they just started their six-year period, then you just uh, give them the full amount. If they're about the end, then you... Give them that. No, no, no. They, that servant can be in his sixth year of service. And if he's gored by an ox, then the owner of the ox is to pay the full price for that servant to the master. Well, probably be here because the implication is he's probably been injured. He probably can't serve as he's been serving in that capacity. And so you're basically giving the owner the wages that the servant was there to fulfill. And he pays the full amount. Uh, Restitution should be proportional and should be complete because let's say the servant is unable to fulfill the seven-year period because of what happens because of the ox. And so he is to pay full... And the ox loses his life and he is to pay full restitution for the master of that servant. Okay? So then we come to verse 32 and 34, and notice what he says. If a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or a man uh, or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast uh, shall be his. So here we have um, another information. By the way, to, to, <laughs> I just missed this. To go back on the 30 pieces of silver, um, when we ask about... Judas, you know what Judas sold Jesus Christ for? Betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. 
where did you get that? It's not arbitrary. It was the price of human life in the Old Testament. And so uh, Judas regarded Jesus Christ as a servant for 30 pieces. That's all he was worth, 30 pieces of silver. Um, so with that said, let's continue. Um, in verse 33 and 32, here you have the owner. Again, we're entering the subject back of the subject of negligence and carelessness, right? Uh, a man digs a pit and he leaves it uncovered. Now, we would say, duh, <laughs> hello. What do you, uh, we uh, went down to Dover. Our children, they do the piano on Thursdays. Uh, take piano lessons so we go down to Dover on Thursday afternoons and one day I took Leland with me and so uh, Capital Baptist they brought a house that they're going to use as staff housing there beside the church and they're renovating it and so they stripped the house from everything so we're walking through the house and I noticed as we're walking through the house that um, some of the vents had there there's nothing there and so there's basically a hole in the ground and I remember I was passing by uh, the flooring and I saw a quite big hole there. There was clearly a vent that led to the basement, uh, to the furnace back there. And so, uh, but there's no, the ductwork is not there. There's just a hole that goes down the basement. And I remember passing through that and I thought to myself, probably should cover that hole. But I continued. And then we walk around the house a few more times and then we come back around the house and then I see my son Leland. He, he's walking and then I said, whoop, and so his, he did, his leg, one leg went down. <laughs> he was in shock, but he didn't go through, praise the Lord. And I said, well, maybe we should cover that hole. The idea here is that somebody leaves something unattended that could bring harm. And here he says, and they leave it uncovered. Now, I'm not saying here that whoever left that, they probably didn't expect a child to come through. The point I'm making is, you see what God says about carelessness and negligence? You can't just do that. Now here he doesn't apply this to man, he applies this to the ox. The idea here is restitution. He says if that happens, the ox falls into the pit, then you purchase that dead ox from the owner of that ox for the price of a live ox, not a dead one. Now you can have the ox now. But the ox is dead. It can't help you. It can't plow the field. But you have to pay the full price of what that ox was worth. Why? Because you were careless. You were negligent. So there's consequences for carelessness and negligence as we continue. And by the way, full restitution was required under the law. The full price of the ox. Then verse 35 and 36. If one man's ox hurt another, another's that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it and the dead ox also they shall divide. Or if it be known that the ox has used to push in time, in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be his own. So, same going back to those two scenarios. If an ox misbehaves, injures another ox, or kills another ox, then he says, then, okay, you, you make things right. So you divide the live ox, you sell the live ox, you divide the profits, and then you divide the dead ox and you can keep the meat. And you divide it equally. Now, obviously, you lost your ox. That's the consequences. Now, there's another scenario. Because same thing with uh, a man or a woman, if an ox kill a man. If an ox 
has a history of misbehavior and the owner knows it towards other ox and he kills an ox and he knew about it, then you get nothing. Because you knew about it and you were negligent again. And so three times in this passage, God shows us something about negligence and carelessness. Negligence and carelessness is not to be excused. A full restitution was required. Harm can be committed in an involuntary way. That is true. However, even if there was no intent to harm, restitution was still required. Even if there was no intent to harm. In other words, the owner, didn't, he didn't send his ox to kill another ox or to kill a man or a woman. That, that was not his intent, but it happened. By, what? By virtue of what? How did it happen? Because of his carelessness and negligence. So, as we think about this application again, that's the law for the children of Israel, the judgments for the nation of Israel under a theocracy and how they deal with one another. But I'm more interested in what that tells us about God. God obviously has a high regard for human life. And that is always upheld all throughout the scriptures. But we also see a clear emphasis that the harm of carelessness is met according to God with severe consequences. Again, he's trying to teach his people something. That it's not okay to be negligent. It's not okay to be careless. If you have a violent ox, keep it in or kill it yourself. If you dig a hole, cover it. You know an ox can die if he falls in the pit. Don't be negligent and careless. God wants us to know that if you are careless and negligent, it is not an excuse for you to pay restitution. You will always pay restitution for carelessness and neglect. But in the midst of all that, those who are careless and negligent can be shown mercy. And that's what God says, there's an opportunity for mercy to be exercised. Now, the one who has been negligent and careless is at the mercy of those he's harmed. He can't show mercy for himself. It must come from someone else. And I'm thinking about those uh, verses and those principles or this framework by which God wants his children to operate. And I think that this is exactly how God himself operates. All throughout the scriptures we understand that God values human life and it is always upheld in the eyes of God. Man from the very beginning was created in the image of God. And by the way, the reason why the consequences are severe for the loss of human life is because man is created in the image of God. And therefore, he has great value because he reflects God and who God is. We read earlier, you remember, it was in this very book of Exodus that in Exodus chapter 2, God saw the children of Israel. He saw 
their taskmasters. He saw their suffering. He heard their groanings. And he came down to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. You see, God values human life and it is always upheld in the eyes of God. And we also know that God is not a careless God or a negligent God. Uh, you see, uh, God uh, did not overlook the children of Israel, but the Bible says He remembered the promises that He had made. Uh, he remembered the covenant that He had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and, and with Jacob. And so God, when He dealt with His people, God is not careless. But God was diligent, full of care, thoughtful towards His people. It's like the psalm, a psalmist who said that the thoughts of God, they're so many in number. It's unthinkable, the thoughts that God has for us. But I'm also thinking about the necessity for restitution to be complete and proportional. You see, God has valued all of our lives. He has not overlooked or been careless about our sinful condition. He has dealt with our sin by sending Jesus Christ on the cross to die and to pay for our sin debt. That's what God did. He did not overlook our sin. He did not say it was okay. He did not say, uh, well, uh, you, uh, I'll get over it. But He valued that our lives so much that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to pay for our sin. And guess what? God, when He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, made full restitution for our sin. You see, Jesus Christ, the Bible says when He died, the Bible says God, uh, uh, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And when we read about the cross, we understand that the wrath of God was poured out on the Son. And when we think about our sin, uh, we have to understand that God made full restitution for our sins. What is that? Well, you know what the wages of sin is. It's death. It's eternal damnation and hell. But Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. He made full restitution. And when He died on the cross, the Bible says, He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You see, every single evil thought that we've ever had, every uh, wrong behavior that we've acted upon, every filthy word that we've ever spoken, everything we've done wrong against God and violated His holiness... He put all of that sin upon Jesus Christ and He judged our sin in Jesus Christ. He made full restitution. And by doing so, He exercised mercy. Mercy upon us who were negligent and careless. He exercised mercy towards us. You see, I think this chapter, although we see how the, uh, the uh, God is to govern the affairs of men, we learn something about God that are timeless. Timeless. 
God values human life. He deals with carelessness and negligence as a great offense against him because he himself is not careless and negligent. And he deems the restitution for any wrongdoing to be complete and proportional because that's the kind of God that he is. And we also know that he delights in mercy. That's the kind of God we have. So if we are to reflect God and be grateful for who He is and be reflective of His character because all that proceeds from Him is holiness. Be ye holy for I am holy is what God says. So what does that mean? That we just like God, we have to value human life just like He does. That we, if God so hates carelessness and negligence uh, that we would not be negligent and careless in our own lives. And by the way, I could apply this to many things, but we think about the areas in our lives where we can be negligent and careless. I was thinking this morning about how everybody in the church was involved in the work of evangelism. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of mothers with young children in the church. And sometimes they think, well, I want to be involved in evangelizing. What can I do right now in evangelizing? Well, you can teach your children. To one day to grow up to love the Lord and then themselves to be evangelists. That's what you can do. Your time is not wasted. You are training children to love God and to serve God with their lives. That's how you can be involved in evangelism. Don't be careless. Don't neglect those precious moments in those early years, those formative years in the lives of your children. Because if you're careless, I guarantee you there are consequences to carelessness. We also learn of the necessity of restitution. And let's just be grateful that all of our sins was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross and that He made full restitution in Christ for our sins. You see, salvation, I've said this, but I need to emphasize this because of the modern day churches. God does not accept us as we are. He accepts us only in the person of Jesus Christ who made full restitution for our sins. He died on the cross and made full payment for all of our sins, every one of them. And may we also, just like God, exercise mercy. You know, there are times that I I believe, and by the way, there is one of the gifts in the church that we read about, how we ought to be merciful. When was the last time that you were wronged? or you were offended, or you saw somebody do wrong, or you uh, hurt somebody that you disagreed with, and you just did this, you just showed mercy. Now what's the opposite of mercy? (laughs) Revenge. I'm going to get you. I'm going to hold you in my mind this contempt for you. No, if we're going to be like God, God says, be merciful, for I am merciful. And so may the Lord help us not only to be grateful for His character and how it's displayed here in Exodus 21, but that we might reflect His character in our own lives. Let's pray.